Hi and welcome to Afroqueer. I'm Rachel Wamoto, standing in for your host, Sally Chum. This episode is our last episode before we go on break. We will be taking some time to recharge over the holidays and we will be back with the second part of season two in the new year. On this episode, you're going to hear some amazing storytellers from our Afroqueer live event. On May 17th, we had a party for Idaho Beat, the International Day Against Homophobia, Biphobia and Transphobia. We invited members of the queer community to get on stage and tell a story about their coming out. Today, we are sharing three of their stories with you on the podcast. Our first storyteller is Kevin Washiro. Kevin is a writer, journalist, activist, and he has his own storytelling podcast, Nipe Story. When I was 16, I used the church as a cover to go and get laid or try to get laid. So those amens you guys were giving. This brother needed to get touched. <laughs> so my best friends, you know, my best friends were already at that time having sex with girls. And I couldn't tell them I also wanted sex, but I wanted sex with guys. I had watched enough straight porn at that time. VHS. <laughs> Those of who know cassettes. <laughs> I'd watched enough straight porn at that time to know what I wanted, what I didn't want, and what I was going to do. <laughs> so every, every Sunday when I was alone, oh, Saturday or Sunday when I was alone, I'd walk, I'd walk up Kenyatta Avenue, Kimathi Street, occasionally Tomboya, and on a hard day you go up to near Uhuru Highway, <laughs> looking for guys who I'd hoped, you know, would hook up. So I was busy walking across Nairobi streets looking for a guy. And then it happened one Sunday. And that moment with that guy was everything that I had imagined it, it would be. It was beautiful. But the moment I got home, that thing that I wanted so badly, that good thing, all of a sudden seemed like a bad thing. I remember I showered and I scrubbed. And I convinced myself that there's no need to have sexual relations again. Nothing was bad. And I switched off everything I felt. You see, I knew I, was, I liked guys as young as from the age of 11. In standard date, you know, I had the obligatory girlfriend. We were a good couple. We held hands. But I was not going to kiss her. I acted straight, but I wasn't macho. There was also the fact that I loved um, Elsa Clench's CNN style program on CNN. Showing my age right now. Uh, I loved baking. I loved dressing up. You know, but I also loved sports. I was in that space. I was in I was that space where I wanted to be me, but I didn't have that opportunity to be myself. So, what do you do at that age? I even went and got books on conversion therapy. You could get them in Nairobi at your local Christian bookshop. 
I even wrote to Exodus International, a, group, a ministry in the U.S. that um, purported to, sub, to have programs for conversion therapy. That was me. So I zimmed all these feelings. So along the way, you know, I lived my life in Nairobi. But, um, you know, I didn't come out to anyone within, I didn't come out to anyone in my circles at all. I kept this thing, I kept my little dirty secret to myself and my right hand man. <laughs> you see, being at this space, I watched a lot of porn. No, I, I, well, I did the porn bit, but I masturbated a lot. And immediately after that, I prayed, and I prayed asking for forgiveness. But during all this time, I knew I loved men. But I threw myself into the church. I was involved in singing. I used to dance. I was an usher. And I was also involved in youth ministry. But there comes a time, as some famous politician said, there comes a time. And that time came. And that time came with a fine-looking man. And my feelings were everywhere. I had never, ever felt like this before. And it felt so right. At this time, it was only my pastor and his wife who knew that I had gay feelings. But I started questioning what I was going through because there's this guy whom I really liked. Safari Seven's guy was into me. You know, I, at this, I was in my mid-twenties and I never, ever thought this was going to happen to me in Nairobi, in Kenya. I was prepared just to be some asexual floating broadcaster. <laughs> but Friday night, we were at a staff party. We drank a little bit. We got married. I became gayer. <laughs> Next thing, we were making out in his car. <laughs> you know that thing where the windows messed up? I thought that thing was for Hollywood in the movies. But it happened. So back to the making out, you know, we're there, and in the car park. Ta, ta, ta. Someone tapped on the window. It was a colleague of mine. I knew my secret was out. And that weekend, I made peace with myself. I'm like, I'm gay. I like this shit. I think, and that's who I am. I was not going to wear a mask anymore. I was not going to live a double life. I was not going to deny my heart the opportunity to love openly, freely, and publicly. So I figured I need to tell my family and friends. I let the grapevine deal with the friends thing, but I promised myself that I have to tell my family myself. I started off with my mom's. And my mom had come to the UK for my graduation. And she came with a purse that belonged to my nyanya Aida my mom's mom, who died in 1966. I'd never met her. So mom gave me this purse that she had kept since the 60s. And she told me, Kevo, I want you to give this to the woman that you marry. I'm like, man. 
Me, I just want that pass. <laughs> but I didn't want to disappoint my mom. And at that moment, I figured I need to tell her. I told her that I was gay many months later. And she was, she was okay with it. You know, mothers, bless them. And she asked, was it her fault? I said, no. You had nothing to do with this. We did, we were close. But after that, we sort of, with, I withdrew a little bit from her. My mom's very religious, bless her. Christian religious. And on different paths. But she, to my surprise, has been a protector and defender of me and the work that I do as a gay man and as an activist. And I'm grateful for that. Eventually, I started telling my, my brothers, and then I told my stepmom and my dad. I come from a very liberal family. But at that point in time, as you're telling them, there's that fear of rejection. I'm lucky it didn't happen. And I'm grateful. Closets are depressing, lonely, and sad places. Closets are for clothes, not people. And I told myself, you know, if these guys can love me for who I am, who am I? not to love myself. Thank you. Look at my life. It's all right. I'm doing fine. I can't complain. In our next story, we'll hear from Jabari Tiropsalat. They are an artist and feminist whose passion is combining art, culture, and social justice to agitate for equality. Okay, so earlier in life, I knew that I was queer, like very, very queer. <laughs> the day I got uh, courage to be who I am loudly was when I first fell in love with a woman, like the love, the kind of love that consumes you. <laughs> I came out to my friends, so I went on Facebook and posted that I'm very, very queer, come beat me. <laughs> yeah, so that was the first time I, I came out to my friends, my close friends. Of course, I lost some of them because of who I am, but I've never regretted it. They didn't deserve you anyway. <laughs> Yes! And I got empowered and I got so bold in who I am, bold in how I love, bold in how I choose the spaces I want to be in. I got to discover myself some more. And this is my coming out now. Now, the one I'm gonna say is my coming out story for my gender identity. My gender identity and expression. So along the way, I found out things about myself and I found out, oh no, I'm not a girl <laughs> like that. <laughs> and of course this was, I, had, I, I figured that I had to come out again. Um, my voice has dropped <laughs> a lot. <laughs> 
And I realized that I need to come out again for that. And I call, my, my mom calls me and she's like, oh, do you have a cold? <laughs> I'm like, yes. And so I've been having a cold for almost seven months now. <laughs> but yeah, I, I hope that I'll be empowered. I'll, be, I'll feel bold enough to come out and say, now this is who I am. No, I don't have a cold. It's, it's just my voice now. And my name is, is, is different. <laughs> Resilience, resilience is beautiful. Resilience is beautiful. And being who you are every day is bold and is beautiful. All of you, thank you for listening to me. Our last story is from Solomon Wambua. Solo is a friend of the podcast. He's an activist and researcher based in Nairobi. How do I start? I am Solo. How are you all? So my story, right? I don't say coming out, right? What I do is I say it was a confirmation day. Because... We were born to be, yeah? We've known who we are since we were young. So I will take you back to 2008. That is when the confirmation happened, not in a church, right? It happened at home, yes, with my mother, right? <laughs> so I get from school. Mom is calling me. Ah, my son, where are you? Mom calls again. Um, I thought class ended at 8.30 p.m. Are, are you coming home? I'm like, yeah, I'm coming home. So I'm like, oh, two drinks later, of course, a little bit of flirting here and there. Well, we had to use our gaida. So um, I'm like, okay, I'm done with the drinks. Let me go home. I go home, I find mom with our auntie. You know that auntie who calls? You know them, eh? They call, they always have credit. So mom is there, our auntie, the nosy one, she's also there. Then I'm like, oh, hi auntie, how are you? You're fine, eh? Yeah, so we sit down, then my mom hands over a sheet of paper. So at that time, I was doing a, pro a project called um, Positive Sexuality. And at that time, we were discussing disclosure, right? So my mom hands over the sheet of paper. I look at it. My mom asks, what are you doing? In your sugar. Oh, I'm like, mom, mom, um, I'm doing a project. Of course, denial kicks in. Always, the first thing, denial kicks in. So, mom asks, um, when is sugar? I'm like, no, mom, it's a project I'm doing. I'm dealing with men who have sex with men, so it was just a report I'm doing. So, auntie comes in, as usual. 
I know you are. Nimekuwa nikikuona. I have seen you somewhere in several places. Eh? Yes. I have heard. Eh? So that anti-fuels the conversation. So I'm like, oh God, inside my head, I'm like, oh God. Ah, do I run out of home? I go back to the bar. Guys are partying. It was a Wednesday. I'm like, why am I here? Why, why even was I coming home? So I decide, okay, let me sit and hear. So all this conversation is happening in my head. Um, auntie keeps on continuing, pressuring. So it's been like an hour whereby auntie's talking, mom is like, no, my son. Then mom says, ask me one more time, when homo? You know those days it was homo, right? When homo? I texted my best friend and I said, shit is going down. There were no emojis then. Yeah. <laughs> of course he knew what's going down, right? He just said, amen, keep on. So in my head I said a prayer. We are all prayerful. I said a prayer, the day has come. That's why I say it was a confirmation meeting. It was a confirmation day. Then I told my mom, yes, I am. Then my mom says, I always knew. That, that's why it's a confirmation. But it's because we always get, you know, that fear. It wasn't as easy, but I just said, if I don't come out today or confirm to mom that this is it, I will never. To finish out the first half of season two, we asked you, our listeners, who we make this for, to send in some thoughts about the season so far. Hi Rachel, my name is Alvin from Kenya. Um, I'm a listener of the Afroqueer podcast and uh, I have to say that it's very informative and I've learned quite a lot from it and um, it really helps the LGBTQ community in Kenya. I am grateful for for your podcast because it has validated me as a queer woman living in Kenya. Keep on doing what you do and I think as long as as long as you're there, as long as you're telling these stories, that is enough for me because it's it's amazing to know that there are more people out there who are going through what I'm going through. The Afro Queer Podcast has been one of the most groundbreaking podcasts in the world. It has shared the untold stories of queer love, heartbreak, triumph, and tribulation. It has paved the way for those in the shadows to share their truths with the world, and in so doing, create hope and possibility for those still in hiding. 
Thank you to the whole team at Afrocoir for making this incredible masterpiece heard literally around the world. Before I started listening to it, I had never really heard a podcast where it was kind of like journalistic work. And I loved hearing like the background sounds of like car horns and things when you like, oh, we went to so-and-so place. And I think that's really creative. Um, I also really enjoy the compassion that's used when you're talking about a story. And I'm just looking forward to whatever it is that y'all put out in the future. Um, yeah. Afro-queer team, uh, everyone, everyone in your superb team, uh, I want to send my thank you. And you guys are helping or documenting our stories. I'll cherish that forever. This episode was produced by me, Rachel Wamoto, Sally Cham, May Francis, and Ida Holly Nambi. Tevin Sudi is our sound editor. We want to say a huge thank you to our storytellers, Kevin, Jabari, and Solomon, and all our listeners who sent in such amazing comments. You can follow Afroqueer Podcast on Facebook, Twitter, SoundCloud, and Instagram, or find us at www.afroqueerpodcast.com. Season 2 of Afroqueer is supported by Hivos, The Dune Foundation, Google, and PRX. Our theme song is Power by Maya and the Big Sky. Additional music from Karun and Kaboshi. Take care of yourselves and have an amazing holiday. See you next decade. Power ni ile, power ni ile.